Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic or on-premise, and sometimes on-location or on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries from our Gestalt IT community to discuss a single topic or premise. On today's episode, we're gearing up for Cloud Field Day 15 and talking about uh, IT infrastructure companies. And uh, to the point that, uh, frankly, they don't really seem to understand this whole developer thing at all. But before we get into that premise, let's meet who's on the panel today. Hey, I'm Yup. I'm an IT in, uh, industry expert analyst uh, over at TLA, uh, my own company. Hi, I'm Nathan Bennett. I am a cloud architect at uh, Sterling Computers, and you can find me at uh, vnathanbennett on Twitter. I'm Calvin Hendricks Parker. I am co-founder and CTO of Six Feet Up, and you can find me on Twitter at CalvinHP. And I'm Stephen Foskett, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of the Gestalt IT channels. And you can find me at sfoskett on most social media networks. So as folks like us go to industry events and get briefings and attend, I don't know, Cloud Field Day events and stuff, it seems that all enterprise IT companies are really fixated on developers. It's developers everywhere. I feel like they're Steve Ballmer throwing a chair around and yelling, developers, developers, developers. I just got back from VMware Explore, uh, the artist no longer known as VMworld. And um, even there, I had a conversation with the CEO of VMware about this very topic and how they're so focused on developers now. But um, not to throw any stones or chairs, um, it doesn't seem like they really know, and, and I don't mean VMware, I mean all these companies, it doesn't seem like they really know what uh, developers really want or even maybe what developers are. Um, am I crazy? I, I don't want to start with Calvin because he is a developer and, and might have a different opinion. Um, I don't know, Yoop, do you want to jump in first? I mean, what, what what's going on with these companies and their developer focus? I mean, I guess they see a new market. I guess they smell money um, because everyone's talking about cloud native architectures, about modernizing applications, about you know digital transformation and a bunch of other buzzwords that frankly, I don't even begin to understand. Um, but developers are apparently the hot new thing. Um, but you know, I, I work with a couple of those developers. And they, they literally ask me, hey, what, what's VMware again? What's NetApp again? What's any of these other companies again? I don't know. I don't know what these companies do or are. I just need you know a programming language, maybe an IDE, and I'm oversimplifying, but that's kind of it. Um, and so these, you know, vice versa, looking at the different perspective, these companies currently do not offer something a developer wants. And my guess is there's you know something in between these companies and the developer themselves, and these go by many names. These you know go by platform teams, operation teams, IT teams, whatever they're called. Um, but these companies are actually selling to those you know those teams in between those IT departments, not to developers directly. So you're saying that developers don't like building infrastructure and load balancers, networking and all that stuff. Developers don't like doing that. I thought, I thought that's what they do. I think we, we, we get too attached to these labels. And I think what we, what we find out a lot of times is that when we think of developers, a lot of people can define them at a very base level. And I mean, no disrespect to developers and I, we have one on the podcast, so I gotta say that. Um, but you know, 
a lot of people start, tend to think that if you code, then you're a developer, right? You you play around with those little words and widgets and you you write things and functions and and I'm saying developer words. And now you can use stack, you know, uh Stack Overflow and and you, you're you're cool and all that stuff, right? But that may not be exactly what a developer is actually looking into, and and I think it, the premise is is very true because a lot of them are are looking at developers in a maybe a different definition than even developers would think. Well, I think that that definition of developers has changed greatly over the years. I think in the enterprise, a lot of developers weren't aren't the people you think of as developers now who are hacking at code on keyboards with specific languages and specific IDEs. I think some of those maybe more traditional enterprise developers were point and click using some kind of a GUI to build some kind of a workflow or they were kind of, I I don't want to put anybody down, but like a step above, like say analysts uh, were what traditional enterprise developers might've been. So there was a, a, a wide range of developers between that and like the true hardcore open source hacker who's building Go libraries or Python libraries and publishing them on GitHub. So for them to now say they're going to focus on the developers, which one are they focusing on? It, I don't know if they've come out of the previous definition of the enterprise developer. Yeah, that's a really good point because it seems that you know the, the enterprise IT shops that I worked in, the developers really weren't you know writing brand new code. They were really all about mm-hmm. integration. They were about taking um, applications and products and components from various sources and bringing things together, kind of like, you know, what DBAs do, uh, as much as they were about, you know, creating code, that doesn't mean they didn't create code. It doesn't mean that they didn't, you know, have a front-end developer or user experience or something like that. But that was not the focus of the group. The group was really about integration. Is that right? I think that's pretty accurate. I think that the change, though, now is you're seeing a lot more enterprises who are hiring real developers who are generating, you know, new novel code, generating new libraries that they're sharing across their enterprise for the various teams. And so they look more like an Instagram than they look like a, you know, some giant healthcare system. You know, they're really trying to build interesting tools for their teams. And they want tools, they want tooling that works for them. They're going to want to use containers to package and deliver applications where the operations team doesn't have to even know what's inside the container to deliver. But they're going to need those enterprise you know, tools still to... Uh, I guess, accommodate their their needs, make their lives easier. Uh, if everything can look the same from the local development on their laptop to putting it into staging QA dev and then obviously releasing into production and then triaging and debugging all the way back, those are the kinds of tools that they really need to be focused on. And I don't think they're all there yet. I mean, there's some backup as a service tools and things that could bring those containers down or move them here and there. No one's still focusing on the developer experience on the laptop. You've got these amazing new M1 Macs with 64 gig of RAM and tons of resources available to you locally. Uh, let's take advantage of that. Let's use that. Let's run half the infrastructure locally on our machine so we're not spending much time sending stuff through CI pipelines, waiting for the result, You know, kind of twiddling our thumbs. I want to be fast, nimble, agile, and iterate quickly. Well, but I guess that's one of the big differences I see between, you know, different style of companies that are either, you know, marketing to developers or employing developers for whatever reason. Um, There's this notion of, you know, cloud native, very forward thinking, everything is a microservice, you know, everything is basically a net new application, you know, it's, it's not older than a year, maybe two, 
Um, the architecture is still modern, et cetera, et cetera. But then the reality is, like Stephen said, it's much more about older systems, maybe even old systems or very old systems that still have a business value and that still need to be integrated in whatever modernization uh, developers are doing. Um, and I think that disconnect really also creates a disconnect between the, you know, the infrastructure, the IT infrastructure companies that really come from that older, you know, legacy uh, architecture mindset approach versus those newer developers that are actually working on those microservices, you know, that have built a service mesh that use observability. Like, I think the disconnect between those two groups is still very much there. I think what's interesting in, in, in these discussions when we talk about what these definitions are about what is a developer, what is an operator, is it's very fluid based off of the environments that they're in. If you look at a startup, a developer and, a, and an operator are, are pretty much almost, well, I, I'm not going to say they're the same job, but they're pretty close to each other. Like normally they like sit next to each other in a small area and they have to talk to each other, right? And I always use this analogy whenever people will come to me and they talk about DevOps. I'm like, oh, you want you want DevOps? Okay, awesome. How do you want to do it? And they say, oh, well, we want it, we're using Terraform and we're using this product, we're using this product. No, 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 no. Those are tools. How are you doing DevOps, right? At, the, at some point, y'all have to actually start talking to each other. Putting in a tool is not going to fix this. And going back to what you were saying you, about the infrastructure companies that have those capabilities, that kind of understand that, um, leading into that area, that that makes sense. I think it's interesting, especially when we bring up uh, VMware, how much they have doubled down into the Kubernetes landscape. And we're actually kind of seeing this strange shift into Kubernetes and then this shift back because the shift to Kubernetes was kind of the development teams and groups thinking, oh, this is really cool. You know, we could we could really start building these things and, and it'd be so much quicker and faster. And maybe developers jumped in there and was like, oh, I can do kubectl commands and I'll just roll, roll out these things. And that's awesome. And then eventually I came back to, wait a second, why do I need to know this kubectl command? You know, this is still something that I'm not sure is, is my part of the job. And then we start seeing these small little segments getting cut out where some developers do that side and some developers don't. And they start kind of being more specified in different areas. And you got like SRE teams and all these other things. We're living in a much different uh, segmented area now in terms of operations and dev, just the segments are much smaller and shorter and, and uh, different smaller teams, I guess. So given this um, situation where, as uh, I think that you're right, Nathan, that uh, what means developer at one company might actually be an operator at a completely different company. You know, I mean, it's it's very, very different in different areas, different countries, and different parts of the country. Somebody pointed that out as well, that, you know, an IT developer in, um, you know, I don't know, here in Cleveland might be a different person entirely, a different job description entirely than an IT developer in San Francisco. And, and I think that's probably true. Um, how, how do companies, how are companies going to deal with this? Because it seems like so many, especially... IT infrastructure product companies are just jumping in with both feet into this developer market, but it sounds like there is no development developer market. Is there? I mean, what are the prospects for these companies? Well, but I think they're they're trying to to create that, and so I've I've heard a lot of buzz recently around platform teams, around developer experience, developer experience platforms, where companies are 
are trying to, you know, basically create a platform that they can sell them, um, where a developer gets a very clear cut idea of this is how I should be developing. This is, you know, my CI CD tool. This is my linting tool. This is my testing tool. This is my security tool. And it's, it's standardized in, in a way that a developer no longer has the freedom um, where, you know, I think development and to, to an extent operations, they're creative jobs. You have to find novel solutions for new problems every day, every week. Um, but I do see those, you know, those platform engineering th- teams and those platforms being built around cloud and around that developer experience. Companies are trying to create new products, are trying to create a, a new foothold into companies where developers are on the rise, where you know the number of people in those roles is rising compared to operators and, and IT teams of the past. Yeah, let me let me hop in here because I, f- I feel like Calvin needs to have the last say here. Um, I think what's interesting, and, and I'm going to give a hot take: selling to developers doesn't really exist um, when we're talking about these these areas. And the reason why is because if, if I work on sales and I, and I work for a value-add reseller, so I know a little bit about it, I'm going to talk to a C-suite. If I talk to a C-suite, then I'm going to eventually talk to an IT guy. And that IT guy normally runs an operations group and has help desk group and other groups like that. I have to get so far into understanding that customer before I even meet a developer. And so it is extremely difficult for me to get to that point where I can actually talk to a developer and say, okay, what's your, what's your workload? What are you working on? Uh, and to have that discussion about developer experience, it's difficult for me to say that that is actually selling to developers. I think it's pandering to developers because what that's really doing is it's selling to an IT guy and pandering to him saying, hey, I know you're probably getting these complaints from developers. Hey, you probably want this so, so you can shut them up. And it, I mean, I'm saying this in a, in a rude way because it is a hot take, so I'm going to be rude. Um, and also I'm setting you up, Calvin, because I'm, I'm really interested in your take on this because I've I've actually seen this and had to deal with it. So uh, what do you think, Calvin? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be curious to know how many developers even go complain to their IT group about the tools they're even using. I think you're right that there isn't necessarily a market to sell tools to developers. Most of the tools they use are probably open source, free, um, or inexpensive. I mean, I think in the tools that I would buy, you know, PyCharm, VS Code's free. Uh, I want PyCharm Professional, which costs a, you know, it's a very small amount of money comparatively. I think those platforms as a service type bits, the the CI pipelines, the DevOps tools, those those kinds of things is probably where they are going to have the best opportunity to sell. But for a developer experience, those are mostly out of, the, out of their realm. They're going to u- interact with it with their Git client, whether they're using command line Git, the Git built into their editor, or maybe they buy Git Kraken. I mean, there's, there are some tools you can buy. They're just not, they're not expensive. I don't know where this huge cash windfall is going to come from, from the, for these enterprise vendors to sell to us as developers. And I think most of the developers, if you are truly, I'll kind of talk to Yoop's point about uh, tr- serious about your craft and you are developing and honing these you know, novel solutions to sophisticated problems, you, you know what you're doing. You, you have got your machine tricked out. You are you know, either running Docker or Minikube or some other thing. You don't even need Docker Desktop. Like you don't care about the GUI necessarily. And now there's a range of developers in who will uh, want Docker Desktop. So they're, again, another, another inexpensive tool that the developers could buy. Probably not going to hurt anybody's budget. But I don't know where these enterprise vendors are going to sell high-ticket, high-dollar tools to the developer specifically. 
Uh, the operations teams who are managing these things at scale, they absolutely need observability tools, infrastructure tools, scaling tools, infrastructure code tools, but those are not the DevOps part. The DevOps part is going to be how quickly can the developers iterate and how quickly can they release those features into production? And if there's an issue, how quickly can you roll back? Yeah, but I, I guess what we're seeing in the market right now is, you know, in DevOps days, one of the, the open source, uh, open communities, um, there's this saying, you cannot buy DevOps, but I sure can try and sell you some. And so I, yeah, I guess I would it, agree. I guess this is this is what what's happening right now. Developers are a creative bunch. They do need to be. They are crafting interesting solutions to problems, and then they're going to find their tooling, their solutions, their way of putting it together. I think the thing they can do is help more developers get to that spot. Uh, training or integrated platforms and tools. So kind of like if you were able to bring like the Cloud9 experience that um, Amazon's trying to do, or a couple of other vendors have got now kind of Cloud IDEs. Uh, JetBrains has uh, Spaces or Cloud. So they've got all of them. GitHub has theirs too. Those are interesting because they allow some organizations to kind of bring some developer experience to the to, to their inexperienced developers who don't know what's out there yet because they don't know what they don't know. So they don't know how to set up their machine. They can kind of get into like a preset hot rod, like just jumping into a Ferrari. Now, if they press the gas pedal, hopefully it goes the right direction uh, and, and not the wrong place. But I think those are some interesting areas where there could be some growth where you're helping manage some of those tools. But I think any serious... Um, and that, and that, that's probably a, a hot take right there. Any serious developer is going to want to have their like own machine like dialed in and set up, but that's not always true. Uh, but I do think that the days of like one shared dev instance that all the developers are hacking on are should be long gone. Um, they should be able to run those things in their either their own cloud instance or their own local instance and submit their fixes into a CI pipeline that can deliver them you know, into the staging environment, the production environment for testing and, and delivery. I think it's interesting that you brought up how like AWS's uh, suite of tools for developer tools. Um, the other thing that I've seen a lot was uh, Azure DevOps is another solution set, right? And I always think of these things and you know, when we talk about DevOps, we talk about there are tools and then there's culture. Hearing you talk about those things really helped me kind of understand more about how closely it brings developers and, and operators or DevOps guys together. Because those type of tool sets, you don't hear that much in terms of how they how they market it, but they've always been there. I mean, I'm in the process of trying to get my my AWS DevOps Pro certification, and those things are are right in the middle. And you have to know everything about you know code build, code pipeline, um, and all the different different parts, right? And it's good to know those things, but at the end of the day, it's still how does a developer get a package into that that area to then start doing his CI and then move on to the CID, CD portion of it, right? And so it's, it's this interesting co uh, collaboration between that tool set, but it's still, to your point, it's still how do you build that, that package and it's normally on your machine and how do you get it into the build process? So looking at this um, from you know, Cloud Field Day this week, uh, a lot of the companies that we're bringing in are very much let's say uh, generously, um, enterprise scale components, not, um, you know, even if, they, even if they are infrastructure components, um, even if they really are cloud, a lot of them are really enterprise scale. And the reason for that comes back to money, like Calvin was saying, I mean, where's the money? The money is not in selling 
um, a networking solution or a storage solution or something to a developer. The money is in having the enterprise standardize on this data protection or this networking integration or this overlay for you know management services or something like that. Um, and that makes me say, wow, these people are really not selling to the right people. Because if developers are not the ones that are going to be the ones selecting the enterprise-wide um, operations console, you know, whatever, it, then then why are these companies so fixated on developers? Are they just using it as a buzzword or a um, like a keyword to differentiate themselves from the old IT operations space? Are they just trying to or just, just maybe they just don't know what they're doing. Is that possible? It, I mean, it's possible, but I think some of them, if they, there are a couple tools out there that are probably of interest to developers. Things like, um, I know Pure Storage and Portworx Enterprise has their database as a service offering. I mean, if I can run that locally and not to worry about setting up a Postgres or a Redis or, you know, those, if I'm an inexperienced developer and I don't know how to do those things, those things just make it push button, just like it's in the cloud. And those, those are possibly of interest. Um, still, I don't know if there's a ton of money in that, but I think those those could be areas where having great documentation, if you're using the same tool locally that you're using to deploy, but generally the developers shouldn't even care what the target deployment environment is. If they're doing things like containers and cloud native development, they're going to use the tooling locally to test all this before they ever publish that container into a container registry for deployment into production. I guess this is all about you know trying to manage and organize around scale. Um, so none of these enterprise solutions um, or infrastructure-related solutions are of any interest to an individual developer, like an individual contributor. They will find you know, their own tools. They have their own laptop. But once you cross, I don't know, 50 developers, 100 developers, 200 developers, then someone somewhere within the company is tasked with standardization, making sure that people work in a consistent way because... You know, if Pete from software development team one goes over to team number two, he wants to work in a similar fashion. And so that becomes someone's problem. Right? So consistency um, of operations of, you know, the way of work, how, how do people use tools? Which tools do they use? How do they deploy to production? Which tools do they use for uh, observability, for monitoring production? I think that's where a lot of the interest and the money is, frankly to be able to run a tight ship, to be able to offer something that a new developer can be onboarded with quickly, with tools they recognize, it, you know, and it'll be the same regardless of which team uh, they work in. I think it's interesting because what we may be seeing is a watering down of what a developer actually means. What, going back to VMware Explorer, um, I was in a session with uh, Kelsey Hightower, someone who I hold in high esteem, and he told everybody in the room, a bunch of VI admins, you are all developers. If you use Power CLI to manage, you're, you're a developer. And I thought that was interesting because when I was sitting in that in that class, it I got it, right? Because if there are, there are two different types of VI admins. There's the clicky guy. And then there's the guy that says, I'm too lazy to sit here and click for 30 minutes to do one thing. So I'm going to script it, right? And so him saying that made sense in that room. But a, a company like VMware is trying to sell vSphere to developers, that does not make sense to me. 
And I don't think it makes sense to a lot of people. And so I think a lot of times you have to um, have to read the room, I suppose, in order to understand how you're trying to sell and what you're trying to sell. It's definitely a money play, right? Because if you water down developers to mean uh, more than just the operations guys and, and say, hey, if you're a developer, you're going to love you know, Tanzu or you're going to love OpenShift or you're going to love uh, Anthos or EKS, AKS, whatever. You know, I'm saying all these Kubernetes buzzwords right now. That's that's great. But at the end of the day, I don't think a developer is really going to care. At the end of the day, it's just an application running where it needs to run. And Kubernetes is just the infrastructure where that application is going to run. I can set up a cloud infrastructure. I can set up an on-prem infrastructure to do what Kubernetes does to a extent and all the KubeCon guides don't don't come crucify me quite yet um, because I can't do it to the full extent of what Kubernetes does, but I can get it get you pretty close there. Will it, will an application guy care that much where if it runs in one or in the other? I really don't think they would. And I see Calvin shaking his head, so I, I'm glad yeah. to know I'm 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 on par on I'm on premise on that. So close, Nathan. Well done. So close. <laughs> yeah. I think if you if you've got a container, it should run in Fargate. It should run in OpenShift. It should run in EKS. I shouldn't have to care. Now I think that I'll, I'll one last thing on this with those. You also brought this up when talking about observability or security. You know, we're definitely shifting left on that complexity and moving it over into another area. But I think that's an opportunity. That there is an opportunity there. Uh, there are going to be people who are called enterprise developers who are going to specialize in those specific tools, and that's absolutely a, a hot you know bed for new sales, new opportunity, new innovation. And it's going to be awesome days for the developers because they just get to focus on only the thing they love to do, which is to write the cool code that solves the cool problem. I don't have to, I mean, they should care about security, but there's going to be other tools that are kind of watching their back. And it, it really does at the, at the end as well. It really is going to run on some kind of infrastructure, whether it's a public cloud infrastructure yeah. or, you know, an enterprise's own cloud. And so really, I think <laughs> that's where the money is going to be because infrastructure is physical and, and it costs something. And there's going to be sales and there's going to be a market there. I think it is wise for companies to be focused on developers, um, and, but more so focused on enabling developers and, and enabling enterprise consistent enterprise services like you brought up before than it is to somehow uh, try to have a bunch of developer pizza hackathons at your enterprise tech companies conference. So, well, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Um, we'd love to continue this conversation. Uh, before we go, uh, where can people connect with each of you and uh, continue the conversation with you? Uh, try to find me on Twitter, uh, given my last name. I wish you the best of luck. Um, I'm on Twitter at Jepiskaag. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll see you there, and let's continue the conversation on Twitter. Uh, Nathan Bennett, I'm also on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at the Nathan Bennett. Very, very creative. And yeah, I'd love to carry on the conversation. This is, this is fun. I'm Calvin Hendricks Parker on Twitter at CalvinHP. Pretty easy one. Uh, I also encourage anyone who is a developer and doing Python to submit to our conference coming up in the spring. We do the Python web conference. So pythonwebconf.com. Call for papers are open right now. And what a great conference it is. It's such a great community of people. Calvin, thank you for bringing that up. I'm Stephen Foskett. You can find me at S Foskett on most social media networks. 
Uh, we'll all be involved with Cloud Field Day this week, uh, Cloud Field Day 15, uh, and you can learn more about that at techfieldday.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. And uh, while you're in your favorite podcast application, uh, maybe leave us a rating or a review. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.